The following Dharma talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota, as part of the weekly Dharma series. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. And last week, uh, for those of you who weren't here, we talked about refuge, and specifically refuge in the path or the practice. And um, as I try to convey in the guided instructions during the meditation, it can be really simple. I remember one of the most simple meditation instructions I got a long time ago from Ajahn Amaro, a Buddhist monk uh, from Britain originally. He's currently the abbot of Amaravati. It's a pretty substantial monastery in England. and uh, But he used to live mostly in the West Coast uh, when they were starting the monastery north of San Francisco, Abayagiri. And I would see him sometimes in the 90s there. And uh, he gave this very simple set of instructions. Let, let the body find its natural ease as best it can. Allow the mind to find its natural ease as best it can. And then simply stay alert and notice what gets in the way of that ease. Oh, this is being known. And the instructions I gave today really are, paraphrase, uh, the instructions I get from my teacher, Saida Utejaniya. And um, very simple, this uh, invitation to relaxation. Whatever it is we're up to in our Buddhist meditation practices, we can be relaxed. <laughs> and we can have a lot of confidence. I don't know much, but I'm pretty sure I don't have to be tight. Now, that doesn't mean we can relax, but what we can do is invite the body, the heart, and mind to relax. And then we relax with whatever tension remains. And generally, it's not enough to do it one time. So we just have to skillfully re-invite the body, the mind, the heart. Honey, it's okay to relax. And then the next two instructions just have to do with the essential skillfulness of being aware. So the first is to recognize present moment awareness. And it's better to say it that way than to say, do awareness or be aware. Because even though it kind of makes sense to language it that way, it's technically not correct. There isn't a mark who does the awareness, even though it's okay to use English in that way. It's really more actually what we do in practice, both in our formal sitting times and out in the world, is we remember to recognize that there is awareness, that the mind is capable of knowing that this is being known. Just like right now, isn't it possible for us to recognize, for example, that the sensations of sitting are being known, that there's this potential to be aware that the sensations are being known. And that's so impactful, that simple move of mindful awareness. And we want to do it over and over and over again. That's the, you could say, the third instruction. The second is, to recognize awareness, and the third is to continue recognizing awareness. So whether you want to call those instructions two and three, or just consider that 
instruction two, it's up to you. So the first instruction thing to keep in mind to remind yourself is to invite relaxation. Honey, it's okay to relax. As best you can, it's okay to relax. Recognize there is awareness. Recognize the present moment. When we recognize the present moment, that means we're recognizing the awareness of the present moment. But it's a subtle difference. We really want to recognize the awareness of the present moment, that it's being known. And so, you know, as a teacher, sometimes we really emphasize the is being known, not so much what's being known in the moment. It might be the breathing in of the breath that's being known. It might be some doubt that's arisen that's being known. It could be anything. In a way, in this sort of more open style of practice, the object that's being known is less important than is than it is to be aware that it is being known. So we're recognizing the awareness of the present moment. And then we keep recognizing the awareness of the present moment. We call that the continuity of present moment awareness. Obviously, that's the workhorse of our meditation practice. Not so much the first instruction to relax or the last instruction, which is to recognize that it's nature, whatever we're knowing, whatever the mind is knowing, that unfolding experience that's being known, we practice framing that or knowing that as nature, a natural, lawful unfolding of causes and conditions. We don't frame it in a personal way, which is our deep habit to frame every experience in a personal way, depending on whether I like it or I don't like it or it's neutral, so I'm going to ignore it. But generally, the very deep habit in our mind is to frame everything that's happening and being known in a personal way. So we're going to undo that habit, and that's the fourth instruction, is to frame or to relate to experience as if it's nature, just the natural unfolding of causes and conditions. Now, we're, trying, we're not trying to pretend things are different than they are. We're connecting with things as they are, and we're seeing if this, this framing of it as a natural unfolding of causes and conditions actually helps the heart, the mind, get closer, more intimate with reality. Right. So we're not trying to put a spin we're trying to connect with things as they are in a real intimate, honest, close way. So that means we can check whether the Buddha's pointing out instructions that it's nature, not self, that it's a natural, lawful unfolding of causes and conditions, if that helps me to have a more honest, intimate, ongoing connection with the present moment. And that's for us, each of us, to check out it's not something to believe in. Like we don't believe that everything's nature, that it's impersonal. It doesn't help to believe in it. It's just another way we can suffer is to sort of get attached to that Buddhist view that everything is nature, not self. And then, of course, we'll argue with other people who have a different view. <laughs> what do you mean you think it's personal? No, it's not personal. It's impersonal. And we can even like, I don't want to talk to you anymore because you think things are personal, but I believe that things are impersonal. And you know how it is. It's just like endemic, this 
attachment to view. And as you know, as we talked about a little last week, that's one of the basic teachings that we can distill from the Buddha. To the, to the degree we get a sense of this human being who lived 2,600 years ago and tease out some of the supernatural stuff and stuff that gets added in because the, you know, the tradition gets institutionalized and affected by culture and so on and so on. When the scholars try to tease out what did this human being actually say, one of the things that was clear is that this real deep, compassionate teaching, hey guys, <laughs> hey folks, watch out for being attached to views, to having fixed views. And this is something we can just check out in our own life. When we notice that we're tight, can we correlate our contraction, our suffering, our tightness to the fact that I'm attached to some belief, some view, some opinion? Or we notice someone else seems to be really suffering. And then we can do it just from this distant place. Oh, I'm wondering if they might be attached to some view. Let me just observe them for a while and see if the tension that I sense in them, the suffering that I sense in them, is related to attachment to some view. And we can look at wars and we can look at fights within families and we can look at so many difficult, terrible things, oppressive things in our world, in our societies, in our communities, and just see, I wonder if this might be related to some fixed views that people have, that I have, that others have. So we can look, we can reflect on this fourth instruction, you know, where we take things personally. You can't get attached to a view without taking things personally. There's only a, only a person would get attached to their opinion. The sense of me as a solid, permanent somebody back here, you know, behind my eyes and my brain and my heart, wherever you might tend to locate your sense of a permanent self. But, but when we have that sense of self as a permanent entity, that view, that there is this permanent, well, then, of course, that self is going to have fixed views. In a way, fixed views is the glue. It What makes the self feel like a self? I'm the guy who prefers this to that. You know, I, green, I drink green tea. I don't drink coffee. I'm a green tea person. I think green tea is better for me than coffee is. I don't know what the big deal is about coffee. <laughs> and all this, you know, and then it's sort of like that kind of glues me together. Yeah, I'm I'm this kind of person. I'm not that kind of person. I like this. I don't like that. I think this is stupid. I think this is cool. And that's how we know that we're somebody because we're attached in these ways. We believe in these ways. We're fixed in these ways. And it, that fixedness feels like something. When we really look at it, we realize, yeah, it feels like contraction. It feels like a burden in the, in the heart, a weight in the heart. So a compassionate person wonders, well, can this be released? In all of these teachings from our wise teachers from the Buddha on down, 
they, by definition, they're verifiable in our own lives. We don't have to rely on what other people say. In fact, what other people tell us is only useful if we check it out ourselves. Ehi pasiko, check it out, come and see. Is there, in fact, real, actual, subjective peace through non-clinging right now, not later? Is there peace available through a non-clinging, a non-attachment? And we have to check this out. And we check it out in terms of what unfolds in our own life. Like if you've been at it for a while, like let's say three years, you've been a pretty sincere student of Buddhist awareness practices, the Buddhist teachings. And then it's totally appropriate to say, you know, what is the result, the natural result of that practice I've been doing for three years? Is there more or less clinging as I live my life? Clinging to my thoughts, clinging to my experiences, my opinions, my body, my possessions, my likes and dislikes, or is there less clinging, less tightness? That's a worthy question for us to check. If over three years of practice, we notice that we're more and more bound up with clinging and attachment and tightness, well, it might be time to to take a closer look. Like, do am I, have I really learned what the Buddha was teaching, or am I really following some teaching that makes sense to me? What am I basing my practice on if it's not delivering a release? And it's good to know that what the Buddha's teachings promise isn't that we're going to become psychic, or that we're going to be reborn in a heavenly realm, what the teachings actually promise, these early teachings promise, is that we'll be like the wise ones before us, in the sense of we'll be able to live a human life with less and less clinging, including not clinging to life, not clinging to anything whatsoever doesn't mean we don't care. It doesn't mean we somehow lose our preferences. You know, we don't know what we like anymore. So we're not clinging because we we become so dense. We don't even know the difference between what we prefer and what we don't prefer and what we think is good for everyone's well-being and what we think is bad for everyone's well-being. It means that we're actually totally engaged, trying not to harm, trying to set good in motion, but all the while seeing the uselessness of clinging and grasping and attachment. And that's the key, is that this learning happens in the experience of intimacy, engagement, and being sensitive, being present. That brings us back to those four instructions to relax, put down your defenses, drop your armor, Recognize awareness, keep recognizing awareness. That means like embracing sensitivity. And to help be even more intimate, frame or discern that everything that we're sensitive to 
is nature, not self. It's the activity of causes and conditions, not self. And if we aspire to be peaceful with conditions, then we practice. That's the path to practice being peaceful with conditions. So that means we actually have to be close. There's no way to practice being peaceful with conditions without the heart being wide open, interested, curious, sensitive, both the breadth and the depth of awareness. We need both. And it's important, like in our sitting, daily sitting practice, that we develop both that sort of precise depth of sensitivity, but also that wide open breadth, that continuity and that openness of the mind, the heart, the sensitive mind and heart, so that we're feeling and sensing the uh, interdependent nature of experience. We're not just hyper-focused on one little thing and excluding everything else, although that can be in moments a useful meditative training. It's not the end of meditative training to have a focused attention, but really to develop both the profound sensitivity, but also the great breadth of awareness. Call it like a wide open sensitivity. Nothing left out. And this ongoingness of that sensitivity, that's that third instruction. It's not enough to remember the present moment, to remember, oh, this is being known. But to keep doing that gives us that breadth of awareness. This is from my teacher, Sadhu Uteshini, and I put this into the chat for everybody. Um, one of the study documents are just three or maybe four quotes. And these are uh, transcriptions from Sadhu Uteshini's morning instructions during a retreat he led at uh, Spirit Rock Meditation Center in Northern California that I was at, um, and Doug McGill, a friend of mine, transcribed these instructions. And this was the first day of, I think it was a two-week retreat that he led there in 2015. So I'm just going to read a few of these. What we can do in the present moment is work with the mind that knows. We can make sure it has right view, has the right attitude or wise view, you could say, that it is working in the right way. We can bring those qualities of mind to bear in the present moment by being aware and cultivating those good qualities. And the first thing we want to check, he says, is their wise view. So that means... Part of what we can be aware of in the moment is, is the mind taking things personally? And it's not that we should be upset, but we want to be aware, oh, look it, the mind is taking things personally. It's like this. This is being known. And even that taking things personally can be seen as nature. So it's not being afraid of my self-centered mental habits, right? Because they're not going to go anywhere anytime soon. These habits of taking things personally, of thinking in self-centered ways, they're pretty deeply ingrained in the mind. 
But wisdom that we develop can discern that that self-centered activity is being known, it's something being known, and that it's not personal. So when I'm really being reactive in a seemingly personal way, really defensive, really argumentative, really judgmental, gossiping, you know, the things that humans do, complaining, blaming, right? These are very common mental habits, emotional habits. And when in our practice, formally or during the day, we see, awareness sees, oh, it's like this. The mind is complaining. This is nature. This isn't self. The activity of complaining, the activity of gossiping, the activity of oh, poor mean, the, the activity of feeling a lot of self-hatred, that's nature. That's not self. That's what the mind does sometimes when the causes and conditions have been activated through some trigger or whatever. Then this kind of thinking, this sort of emotional activity arises and is felt as nature. Can this be okay? And we let these patterns arise and then cease because that's what they do. I don't need in a personal way to be the one who gets rid of that less than helpful habit. I can be aware that it's there as nature, not self, and then I can be aware that it ceases on its own without anybody doing anything, because that's what everything does. It comes, shows, it fills the space of the heart and mind for a moment or two or longer. But if it's not being fed, if we're not taking it personally, identifying with it, then fairly quickly these states of mind cease on their own. And this is the deepening of wisdom. It confirms that fourth instruction, oh, this is nature, this isn't self. This is the activity of nature. Things get triggered, they dance around for a while in the body, heart and mind, play themselves out because of the momentum of the habits of the mind, all of which is nature, not self. No need, no functional need to take it personally. And when out of habit I do take those unhelpful thoughts personally, then they get wound up. So what feeds those unhelpful tendencies of our mind is the attachment, taking things personally. What allows them to unwind to become weaker tendencies it's just to let them come and go on their own. It doesn't mean that we have permission to act out those unskillful thoughts or emotions where we harm ourselves or we harm others. No, we'll see that. We'll see that the harm is getting set in motion and it will naturally lead to the mind, heart, wisdom, whatever you want to call it, to try to refrain. But all along, even if we're trying to, you know, refrain from acting out or gossiping or complaining or whatever, even that refraining is nature and not self. And that's the cool thing about the practice. All the good qualities that we're hoping will show up are more likely to show up when we relax, when we recognize awareness, when we keep recognizing awareness, and we keep bringing in wise view. Oh, this is nature. It's just nature, causes and conditions. 
then we're going to navigate these sticky, difficult places in our lives more skillfully than if we're uh, somebody trying to be skillful, <laughs> which is our general approach. It's like, I don't want to screw up. I want to be skillful. I want people to know that I'm skillful. But all that is just actually uh, totally appropriate, but ends up being a cause for more tension and fear. Fear of being a jerk again. Fear of making a mistake again. Fear of people not recognizing how skillful I am, right? All those sorts of ways to just add on more suffering in our lives. He, he writes, or he said in these morning instructions, the mind is the worst. The moment we think it's not a good mind, hell starts. Looking at the mind doesn't bring good news, right? But it's still our responsibility, even though it's really hard to observe the mind with awareness. Oh, it's just mental activity being known, just emotional activity being felt. And to see it as nature, yeah, just causes and conditions. This is what the mind does sometimes when certain things have been triggered, certain patterns have been triggered. He writes, or he uh, spoke, it's odd, when we look at our minds, mostly we see a lot of negative stuff running around. If we think it is my mind, we start feeling pretty depressed. And if we think we have good qualities of mind, we start feeling pretty good. This is pride or conceit. So to practice Vipassana or insight meditation effectively, we have to remind ourselves that these minds, these processes are also nature so that we can observe them. When you observe yourself, this whole process of mind and matter, you want to remind yourself that the me is actually a process of mind and matter coming together. We want to understand that process and that's why we are observing it. So what that means, both in our formal meditation time, but all day long, is that it really comes down to something so simple. We relax and we keep remembering. And right at the beginning of our Buddhist practice, even if you're here for the first time, you consider yourself a newcomer or new to meditation practice, the practice is simple. The instruction we get at the beginning is the instruction we get at the end. Something is being known. And can we keep that in mind? Something is being known. This experience, whatever it is of the body or the mind, this experience is being known. This experience is being known. And right there embedded in that simple instruction is, it's not so personal. It's just something being known. And if it feels personal, that's just part of the something right now that's being known, that it feels personal, that it's about me or mine. Oh, that conceit is being known. I really don't like this Buddhist stuff. It's so weird. That's a thought being known. And can we keep reducing our present moment experience? Again, it's not just when we're formally doing our morning meditation. We want to cultivate this way of being, this way of relating all day long. And I know initially it will seem weird. You know, you're with your lover or you're with your pet or you're with your friend or you're hard at work with your computer on, you your to-do list and answering emails and texts. And it can seem so weird 
for, in a sense, wisdom to step back and say, oh, it's just something being known. It's just nature. Something is being known. That's what nature is. Nature, for us subjectively, which is all we know. So I'm not talking about some metaphysical truth. I'm just talking about our actual experience as a human being. The nature of our actual experience as a human being is something is being known. There's sensitivity and there's something that sensitivity is sensitive to. And that's it. And we just, in a sense, we're hitting that note over and over and over and over again. Pain is being known. Not liking pain is being known. Imagine, you know, if somebody insults us later today, or there's something disturbing that happens to you later today, imagine if wisdom is there, which would be totally honest. Wisdom just goes, oh, this hurts. This experience of hurting is being known. It feels like this now. It's just this hurting being known. Oh, the mind doesn't like that it's hurting. The mind is thinking about it. Okay, so the thinking mind is being known. Wanting revenge is being known. Trying to get even is being known. Seeing that that's stupid, it isn't going to help. That's being known. To just keep emphasizing that wise, ongoing wisdom. It's awareness with that wisdom that it's nature and not self. Because that wisdom piece that sees at this moment as the activity of nature, it's what allows us to be close without the distortions that self-centered, a self-centered attitude projects on the moment. It's really hard to be intimate, to see clearly when we're projecting things in terms of what I like, what I don't like, what's mine, what's yours. But we're just aware, which is actually the case, that it's just this experience being known, being felt. And there's nothing outside of that. That's all there is. One time, not one time, he repeats this regularly, Saito Utejaniya this Burmese monk and teacher. He says um, sometimes, our job is only three things. Have right view, be aware of right view, continue to be aware of right view. So right view just means that this is nature. It's okay to relax because it's just nature unfolding. And to be aware, continue to be aware that it's just nature unfolding, right? That's it. To have right view, to recognize that there is this wise view. Oh yeah, I'm seeing things in this very straightforward, very simple, immediate, impersonal way. And I know it always feels like a setup to say like, no spin, <laughs> But this is the no spin zone, right? It's like just breaking things down to how it actually is right now. This experience is being known. And as a counterweight to the habit of personalizing the experience that's being known, we construct what we call wise view, which is, hey, it's nature, it's not self. We need wise view 
because our mind is under this deep habit of projecting self-view, right? We've been, our mind or whatever, heart has been contaminated by culture, probably, to see things personally, to experience everything personally. But it's an unnecessary and unhelpful overlay that has been picked up through the conditioning process. So Buddha creates wise view, which is a counterweight to wrong view, self-view. And we need to use it until we don't need to use it. Until wise view becomes the habit of the mind, we need to use wise view. We need to bring it in skillfully. But when we, when the mind or wisdom is naturally seeing things in that profoundly simple way, this is being known, just as they are, no spin, then we don't need to neurotically say, hey, this is nature, not self. But until then, we need to remind ourselves, we basically have to internalize our teacher and skillfully, not neurotically, remind yourself, hey, this is just nature. It's just ca these causes and conditions unfolding lawfully as they do. It's like this now. And that, that I'm taking it really personally, this moment, that's nature. Of course the mind's taking it personally. That's what's been conditioned. This is Because nature isn't somehow out there and not in here in terms of how my heart and mind has been conditioned. Nature, the lawfulness of causes, cause and effect, that lawful conditional nature is everywhere. There is nothing that we experience that is not that lawful unfolding, conditional unfolding. It's a movement of lawful unfolding. That's what everything is. Wherever, whatever we observe has that nature, doesn't it? And the nice thing then about this style of practice, formally when we're sitting in the morning all day long, or if you sit at night all day long, but in any case, we're cultivating this lifestyle where we're remembering to relax. It's okay to be at ease. Recognizing awareness. This is being known. Keep recognizing awareness. And bring in wise view skillfully so that we're training the mind that this unfolding here in the present moment, what's being known, oh yeah, this is just being known. That's just nature. No need to cling to it. It's just stuff unfolding because of so many causes and conditions. And any object will do. We don't need a different experience. We don't need a different moment. Any moment will do. It's just that not natural process. So Saida Uteshaniya says, the object shows its nature, so you don't need to control it or manipulate it it doesn't have to be anything other than what it is because that is its nature. You just observe it. That observing needs to have wise view and to be persistent. It needs to keep observing. Don't have trouble with what you are experiencing. Don't complain about experience. Appreciate that it can be known. Appreciate awareness every moment. What is our endeavor? It is to know, to be aware, to awaken. 
Every moment that we bring awareness to life weakens the darkness of delusion. You can recognize how you feel. It's good to check in with how you are feeling every now and then. How do you feel? <laughs> are you being aware or are you just thinking? Don't forget to always meditate. To always be in meditation every moment there is room for awareness. Not just when you sit, every moment. This is critical. This is because the continuity of awareness is so important. As much as you can muster, it is so important. Whatever you do, know yourself and do it. Know your action as you do it. Know how you feel as you do it. Take the Dharma seriously. Practice with dedication. So that's sort of a rousing, you know, from this wise teacher. And uh, it reminds me of something, Bhikkhu Bodhi, he's a Western, an American Buddhist monk and a really wonderful translator of so many of the Buddhist texts over the last number of decades. He's quite old now. He lived for many decades in Sri Lanka where he ordained as a monk, but now he's back in the States in the East Coast. And he said once, liberation is the inevitable fruit of the path. The only requisite for reaching the final goal, to start and to continue. And remember, it's not that much. Honey, it's okay to relax, to recognize or remember awareness, and to keep recognizing present moment awareness. And to periodically bringing in wise view. Oh yeah, this is just nature, not self. It's just causes and conditions unfolding lawfully, conditionally. Oh yeah, that's how it is now. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.